about what we're going to do right now. We're going to remember Jesus' death for us. And so if you um, are a follower of Jesus Christ and, and uh, you're here today, you can pick up one of these cups in the back if you didn't get one already. If you're online with us, you can maybe go and get some crackers out or juice or something to do this with us at home. Um, and uh, one of the cool things about this is that there are literally hundreds of millions of people across the world that are doing this today, that are remembering Jesus' death with us in, in hundreds, if not thousands of different languages all over the world. And whether you are a Christian or not, you, you cannot deny the fact that the greatest event in human history that has impacted more lives than any other was Jesus' death and resurrection um, almost 2,000 years ago. Now, I guess if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might deny the resurrection, but you can't deny that his death is the most significant event in all of human history, has changed nations and, and cultures and civilizations and, and individual lives such as mine and many of those here today. And Jesus said the night before he went to his death on the cross to pay for our sins. Three days before he rose from the dead, he said this to his disciples. He said, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. It says, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so let's drink this remembering Christ's death for us on the cross. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for sending Jesus Christ, that you so loved the world, that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God, we just thank you for that offer of life that you've given us, and I just pray that everyone here would accept that offer, Lord, that we would not only accept it, but then live in light of it, live in light of our forgiveness, live in light of, of, of the life that Jesus gave for us and that we would give our lives back to you. And we just thank you for his death. We thank you that when we accept you as our savior, we become part of the biggest family in human civilization, the family of God. Stretches all across the world, all across the centuries, and that together, we are on this mission to just bring as many people as possible into that family to be with you forever. God, help us never to forget that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can uh, just put that down and uh, maybe throw it away on your way out. We're, we're here today and we're in this series about relationship goals. And one of the things we talked about last week, so important, really applies to what we just did, is your spiritual status is more important than your relationship status. 
And so your, your relationship with God is much more important than whether you're married or single or dating or divorced or widowed or, or, or whatever. But we're going through in this series and talking about different goals that has, God has for us in different relationships that we may be in. And so one of them last week was, was God's goals for singleness. And this week, we're going to look into the book of Proverbs about God's goals for dating. Um, so if, if you have dated, most of you here have dated. Um, we do have a baby. I'm sure the baby hasn't dated. We have some kids as well. Thank, I'm glad you haven't dated, Aurora. That's good. Um, yeah, her dad is glad she hasn't dated. So when I was in middle school, that was my first um, uh, exposure to dating. And it was, a, it was pretty simple in middle school. I got a piece of paper, half sheet of paper was handed me during class. It said, do you like Sharon? Check box, yes or no. And it wasn't even given from Sharon. It was another girl in the class had written it up and handed it to me. You know, you always had these, you know, mediators back then who shuttled, you know, information. And so I checked the box, yes, and handed it back. And thankfully, the teacher didn't see it. That would have been embarrassing. And so from then on, I was dating. I think it was Sharon Brewster, but I'm really not sure. I don't remember. But it was so serious, you know. And, and then I found out what dating meant for us in our middle school, and it meant you had to have lunch with her. Well, that's asking quite a bit. What I would do was I would woof down my lunch in about five minutes. I'd inhale it so that I could go, and for the rest of lunch period, I could go play basketball. But if you're dating, you can't do that. You have to have lunch with the person you're dating. And so that lasted four days. And, um, you know, I kissed dating goodbye for basketball. And I never dated again in high school. I had friends who did. And one of them in particular, I won't mention his name, but I remember seeing him. And sometimes he'd come into the locker room, and he was on cloud nine. And other times he'd come into the locker room, and he'd kick in lockers and slamming and punching his fist against stuff. And I thought, I'm like, if that's what dating is, I don't need that in my life, you know? So it wasn't until I graduated from high school and went to college and that, that I actually was involved in dating. And so now, b- before we go farther, I know here this morning, there's a lot of you that are married and you're like, ah, I should have skipped, you know, because this has nothing to do with me. I'm not on the market. Praise God, you know. Or some of you, you know, we got people who come in their 90s and they're like, I am not dating anymore. Like, I am done, okay? And, but I, I, this is for you as well, because just like last week, God's goals for singleness also apply for God's goals for married people. Um, God's goals for, for dating, some of them apply to you as well, um, whether you're married or not interested in dating. And then in addition to that, we all know people who are dating, and they need good advice. A quick look on the internet of uh, dating advice gives mounds, tr- huge piles of worthless, terrible, awful advice about dating. And so we need to be different. In fact, that's what the word holy means. Holy is to be set apart, to be different. The one piece of advice that I give most often to, to young people who are leaving and going to college or leaving and going into the military but it's good for all of us at all ages, is this advice. You need to be weird. 
If you're not weird, you're not following God. And I don't mean socially awkward or, you know, say inappropriate things or anything like that. What I mean is that you need to be different. And how we date as Christians and how we're single as Christians and how we're married as Christians and how we're anything as Christians needs to be different from what the world is like. And um, the Bible is a weird book. It's written for all people in all cultures over thousands of years of human history. And so dating is different in different cultures. We have some people here this morning from some different countries and, and dating is different. In college, I was really shocked to find out that one of the guys in my dorm, he was from India, Shabu, and he didn't date. Um, at least not in the way, this, this is how it worked with him. He said, and I've shared this with some of you, he said, you know, my parents will decide who I marry. And I said, they still do that? He says, yes, they do. And so what happened, I've talked to him since then, that was before he was married, and I've talked to him since, and he said, yeah, so my parents decided, and they always decide that you're going to marry someone not from the town or city you grow up in. So you know, all through, all growing up, you know, I'm not going to marry anyone I know. Like, so it just takes that off the table, and you're just friends with people because you know, I'm never going to marry this person. It's going to be someone I don't know from another town. And so then they picked this girl. They knew the family. They, the families had worked together in the past. And, and so Shabu met Julie, and he had a five-hour conversation with her. And they talked back and forth, and they both agreed that their parents made a good decision. They got married a week or two later. That's how it works. His brother had a five-minute conversation and he was good, and she was good. After five minutes, and they got married. And I said to Shabu, I'm like, you're crazy. That's the craziest thing I ever heard of. He got real serious, and he looked offended. And he said, don't knock it. We have a much lower divorce rate than America. Now, I don't share that to say we're going to change our culture, and I get to decide who my kids marry now. That's not... That's, that's just not our culture. But what I'm saying is God's word and the principles in it apply to every culture, whether you're from India or whether you're from the United States. And in every culture, you got to be weird if you're going to be following God. You're going to be different than the rest of the world and how they do it. And, and so just starting off here, um, one of the things we need to realize, this is intentional dating. This is what dating is about. Dating is about evaluating someone's suitability for marriage. And so you say, well, what about just going out with people and having fun? Well, if it's not an exclusive romantic thing, we have a word for that. Friends, yeah. That's what friendship is. It's just going out and having fun with people, but you look on the internet and they'll say, oh, date for fun, not, not for a destination. That's, what, that's not what the purpose of dating is. And so I would even say, if you are not ready to look for someone who you want to marry, then why would you date? Now, again, in high school, I went out with friends and we did fun stuff, but there wasn't this exclusive, you know, and some of them were girls, but it wasn't this exclusive thing where this is a romantic, exclusive relationship because the point of that is an evaluation period to see, do I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? And if the answer is no, then you need to stop dating, okay? It's not going to get easier the longer you go. Okay, and if the answer is yes, then maybe you need to get to know them better and you just continue down that path and it kind of narrows and narrows. But there is a destination and a purpose in dating. And, and as you do that, 
Here's, here's the, the main point, the only point of the message, and then there's three ways in how we do, be, do this, but I, I think we need to focus more on becoming the person than finding the right person. Okay, so if you're dating, um, you, you want to find that right person, but you need to become the person you're looking for. Because if before you try to hold someone to some standard, you got to make sure that you're at that standard. If you're not, we have a word for that. What is it? Hypocrisy. Yeah. You're a hypocrite. So become the person you're looking for. Another way of saying that is dating is more about being the one than finding the one. And I'm just going to talk about three things you need to become. And obviously, these things, if you are married, you need to become these things as well. But if, if you are single and if you want to date or if you are dating, you need to make sure that you have these things in your life already. Number one, you need to fear God. It's one of the most important things to look for in someone else. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you want someone else who fears God and follows Jesus Christ. Well, so what does that mean? Here's some verses about it from Proverbs. We're just going to be in Proverbs today. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Here's the thing. If I fear God, not only does that help me, but that helps everyone around me. If I'm married, it helps my spouse. If, if I have children, it helps my children. It's a secure fortress. Fortress. It's a refuge. If a refuge, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. We need to fear God if we want to become the person that we're looking for. Um, the result of fearing God is less pain in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that if you fear God, you'll never get sick. It doesn't mean if you fear God, you'll never get divorced. Okay, but what it means is that you won't add, there is a lot of sin and Adam's sin, and so there's a lot of result of sin and, and pain and sickness and death and disaster. and other, there, There's a lot of sin consequences in this world. And there's people around us who sin, and that hurts us. But if you fear God, you won't add to that hurt and pain yourself by your actions. Because, because sin is always, always comes with a price. And, it's, and it's, more, it's more than you want to pay. Sin is always stupid. And so fearing God is always the smart thing to do. And there are very clever, smart, intelligent people out there that think they're getting away with their sin. And they're even talking about how, you know, how great it is to live in their sin. But you can take this to the bank. There will be a price that is paid. And it's never worth it. So if you were to come up to me after the service and say, look at this ice cream cone, isn't it awesome? I only paid 100 bucks for it. I would be like, I think that was stupid. <laughs> $100 for an ice cream cone? What does it have, sprinkles of gold on it? Like, don't accuse me of being against ice cream by saying you shouldn't pay $100 for a cone. And this is, this is where fearing God comes in and obeying God. If you fear God, then you're going to go through life saying, I want to honor God in everything I do. And you're going to be tired, but you're going to get up early so you can honor God and spend time in his word and talk to him. And, and maybe you'll, you'll get up early and come to church. This is the early crowd church, you know. Some of you want the 6 a.m. service. Not going to happen, but, but, but this isn't early for you. But, but, you know, that's honoring God. And if you want to honor God, you're not going to go out with your friends and get drunk. 
Because you're going through life saying, how can I honor God? That's what the fear of God is. The fear of God is honoring and respecting God. It's not like, ah, oh no, God's going to get me. If you're loving him and obeying him, fear of God means honoring him. Now, if you're not obeying God, then you should be afraid. And that fear should drive you back to obeying him because the Bible does say it is a dreadful, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This all-powerful being that sees and knows everything and is passionate about justice and making sure wrong is paid for, that is who God is. And if you don't fear him and you're disobeying him, you're, you're, you're an idiot. Like, we need to fear God. And, and, if, and if you need to find someone who fears God. If you love the Lord, you, that's one of the qualities you need to look for in others, but make sure it's in your own life as well. And then another thing is to make wise choices. Fearing God and making wise choices are almost the same thing. Proverbs 1.17, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom, obeying, and fearing God, very, very similar. Um, here's, I'm going to talk about how you date, and then I'm going to talk about who you date and the wisdom of God's word that talks about that. Number one, the wisdom of God's word and how you date. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. What does that mean? Not even a hint. I think that's a pretty high bar. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. These are the words of Jesus. So some people are saying, well, so in dating, how far is too far? Jesus says, don't look. You're like, oh, come on. You know, what if, what if holding her hand, like, makes me lust? Well, don't hold her hand. Now, I, that, that's pretty extreme. You're, you're, I mean, you're really, speaking from a man's side, you're really a man, I guess, if holding your hand gets, gets you going. But, you know, we need to stop the engine. I'll speak from a man's perspective because I'm not a woman. I don't know what it's like to be a woman, okay? But from a man's perspective, don't start the engine. You start the engine. There's only one thing, there's only one place that engine wants to go, right? There, you, you, you don't start the engine because once the engine is started, it is really hard to turn it off. And so Jesus is saying that here. And honestly, this is also the 10th commandment. Don't covet. Don't want something that's not yours to have. And if you're not married, he's not yours, she's not yours to have. And so don't even go there in your mind, let alone in your bodies. So this is how we date. Is that weird? Absolutely. I've heard multiple people talk about how their friends, how their own parents tell them that this is wrong and foolish and stupid. It is totally irresponsible of you to marry someone that you haven't lived with and slept with. That is the most foolish thing I've ever heard of. You should live together. You should. How do you know you're compatible? Well, let me tell you, I'm not a biologist, but I know some guys who are. If you're a man and a woman and you're attracted to each other, you're compatible in this area, okay? It'll work out. 
All right, but, but God says, do you trust God? Do you fear God enough to make wise choices? Um, and this is one of the choices we need to make is how to date wisely. In fact, Adam Morrill was here two weeks ago, you know, and he's engaged to be married August 12th to his fiancee, Gabby, and they are trying to do this in their life. And so just recently... Um, I heard that she is living at his house. So I'm like, ooh, Adam, that's a problem. But you know what? He is not living at his house. He's living with Joe, <laughs> a man up here in Montrose. And it just, you know, there's so many times we're like, economically, financially, we just can't afford to be apart. You know what? If you fear God, you'll figure it out. And you go live with a friend. And honestly, as a church, I don't want to be a pastor who binds heavy loads on you and doesn't live a fi- lift a finger to help. If you, if you are in a living, we had this recently, a living situation, they were not married, they're living together, and I said, this is wrong, we can't afford, as a church, we will help you afford. And we may even have someone who will take you in, okay, because this, it is important to fear God, to, to date wisely because God knows more than you do. God is smarter than you. You can trust him. So many people think they're just so much smarter than God. God, what does he know? This is how we do it in America. This is how we do it. Trust and fear God. And that means you need to have have guardrails. I tell you what, if, if I had my own apartment, before marrying, and I was living in a dorm with another guy, but you know, so, but if I had my own apartment before marrying Becky, there's no way I could have her over for dinner. I just couldn't. You're like, well, th- that's just what people do. Not if you fear God, because dinner would lead to a movie, and a movie would lead to a hint of sexual immorality, and beyond that. Right? So, so that's how we date. So here's the next question is, who do you date? And here's some proverbs about that. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Will you listen to God's word? Will you listen to the advice of others? The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So who should you date? Well, you should date a wise person. First, you need to be wise yourself. You need to fear God and date someone who fears God. One of One of the biggest commands about marriage and dating in the Old Testament, and it's repeated in the New Testament, is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should only date those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Here's, we read this last week, I think, in one of the services, 1 Corinthians 7, 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. God is basically saying, there are literally tens of millions of people, well, single, so I don't, there are literally millions of people in the world that if you're a single woman or if you're a single guy, there are literally millions of people in the world you could date and marry. And I got one rule for you. It's not an age rule. It's not a language or cultural rule. It's not a racial rule. It's not a one rule has to belong to the Lord. 
And the Israelites, this is a command repeated so often in the Old Testament to the Israelites because they often disobeyed it to disastrous consequences. And so there's three, there's three objections to this. One of them is, well, I have this friend or my parents or they, they dated when one was saved and one was not a follower of Jesus Christ and then he got saved or she got saved and it all worked out in the end. And so I, I'm going to do the same thing. What could be wrong with it? It all worked out. Okay, I could tell you stories about how a guy robbed a bank went to jail, got saved in jail, came out of jail, and his life was great. That doesn't mean you should rob banks, right? Is that, is that what that means? He robbed a bank and his life worked out. No. Romans, I think it's 6, says it like this. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? And so we don't sin. Sometimes God is gracious. Many times God is gracious and he, he blesses us and he helps us and he gives us what we don't deserve. And that is a function of his grace and mercy. And that is so awesome because he loves us so much. But that doesn't mean we test his grace. We push his love. We disobey him. We do stupid things. We buy $100 ice cream cones because we don't trust God. That doesn't mean that's the way it should go just because sometimes God is gracious and merciful. Okay, so if you're dating someone, because dating, right, is a process of evaluating, is this someone I should marry? If you're dating someone and they're not following Jesus and you're following Jesus, you know, well, I don't need to date anymore because God says we shouldn't get married. And it's over. In fact, if you're here today, and we may have some, and maybe you're watching online even, and the only reason you're here is because you're dating a follower of Jesus Christ. And you don't, or maybe you believe in God, but you're not really following him, or, or, or you don't believe in God at all. And here's my advice to you. Run. Okay? Because this person you're dating, let's just imagine it's a woman, this woman you're dating really doesn't love you just the way you are. She wants you to change. I don't care how much she says it, deep down, she wants you to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and she doesn't love you the way you are, and you deserve to find someone who loves you the way you are, so you need to get out of that relationship if you know what's good for you, because it will cause tension, and it will cause conflict if you ever do get married, and it'll only get worse. And so th this, this is something that God's word says, and we need to listen to advice. We need to trust God, and that's, that's who, who we should date. Um, who do you date? Also, listen to godly Christians' advice about who you're dating. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Right? The way of the fool seems right, but the wise listen to advice. If you were going to um, quit your job go into a different line of work and move to California, would you ask anyone's advice? If, if you're wise, you would ask advice, right? You would say, hey, so should I quit this job and go uh, mine, you know, this new kind of Bitcoin out in California like that I'm, someone on the internet told me, you know, would be cool? Like, and, and so you'd listen to wise advice. Possibly the most important decision you will ever make, other than accepting Christ as your Savior, 
is who you'll marry. Will you listen to advice? And, and here's the thing. If you're a good friend, you need to give good advice. Don't just sugarcoat and say, well, what could I say? I mean, they just, she wouldn't listen to me anyway, or he wouldn't. No, no, you need to say what you see. And if you're dating someone and you ask godly people in your life, hey, what do you think about him? And they're like, oh, man, I think that's a bad, I don't, I don't think he is who you think he is. And let me tell you what I've seen, and this is not, you need to, and you need to listen to that. Because other people can often, sometimes we're blinded, and other people can see what you can't. And so that's, that's who you date. People that others say, give you the green light and say, you know what, just recently, I wasn't going to bring this in, but just this week, my daughter, Amber, was proposed to by her boyfriend that they've been dating for almost three years, about three years, Peter. Hi. Hi. She's not here. Yeah, she, she did say yes. Yeah. But you know what? Um, I, I approved of him. Honestly, I don't have this sky high. Does he love God with all his heart? Yes. I, I think this is good. You know, and, and so, it, you know, and hopefully if, if I had, if it was a different person, if he, was, if he was different than who he is, I would have been honest with my daughter about that. And, and, but it's good to have other people outside of parents, right? Because parents don't know anything. So, so that's where the body of Christ is really helpful to help with that and give advice. So fear God, make wise choices. And then this one's kind of weird. Work hard. You're like, what? What does that have to do with dating? Well, here, here's a couple things. And we'll read these Proverbs. I went to the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned this lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man or an armed robber. What, what does fearing... what? What does hard work have to do with marriage? If you're to go to Proverbs 31 and read about the virtuous woman, this is like the catch. This is like the ideal wife. Most of how she is described can be described in one short phrase. She works hard. Do you know what work is? Work is serving someone else in a way that is so helpful that they pay you for it. And if you're not good at serving other people who will pay you to serve them, you have no business thinking you can get married to serve your spouse for free. All right, so, so if, if, you, if, you're, if you are dating someone who just can't keep a job, doesn't have a job, doesn't have a good work ethic, this is man or woman, they have, you should not marry that individual. And I'm not talking about skills and abilities. There are older people in our church who have a fantastic work ethic. They just can't do what they used to be able to do. But man, they pray and they get on the phone and they call people and care about people that way. And they may write to others and, and they are busy serving other people in their life. Okay, you don't need a paycheck to, to have a good work ethic. But if you don't have a good work, work ethic, you shouldn't get married. And so evaluate that in your own life. Ask people, hey, do, do I have a good work ethic? Here's a couple interesting things from the secular world. I don't know if you've ever heard of the success sequence. Any of you heard of the success sequence? 
If you follow the success sequence, there is a 2% chance that you will live in poverty, a 98% chance you will not be in poverty in the United States. Here's the success sequence. Step one, you finish high school. Step two, you get a job. Step three, you get married. Step four, you have children. In that order. If you have children, then finish high school. If you get it out of order, then there, the chances of you living in poverty is like 10 times greater. Okay, and there are things that cause poverty that are outside of our control. Illness causes poverty. Okay, you're in an accident, whatever, things like that can cause poverty. Um, the addiction causes poverty. That's not in here, but in that success se sequence. So there are other ways, there are other roads to poverty that are outside of our control even. But that success sequence, ultimately, do, do you have a good work ethic and have you proved that? It's an important thing. Dennis Prager, a conservative commentary, commentary guy on the radio, I don't agree with everything he says, but he talks about for over 50 years, he has asked men and women, what do you want? He's asked women, what do you want in a man? What, 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 what makes a marriageable man? And he says he's, he's gotten three responses from them. Number one, integrity. Sounds like the fear of the Lord to me. And then number two, ambition. Essentially, someone who can work hard. If, and, and then number three, he says strength, but I would say wisdom. So those three things, you put that together and you got quite a man. You got quite a woman. Right? If you have someone who has ambition or works hard, has a good work ethic, and is, in fact, we'll, we'll flip to this slide so you can, so someone has a, a good work ethic and makes wide choices, but they don't fear God. Do you know what you have? You have a really good criminal. <laughs> you have a man or woman that if they're not in your line of sight, who knows who they're with, right? Um, but if you have someone who fears God and makes wise choices, but doesn't work hard, doesn't have a work ethic, then you have this milk toast, lazy, nice guy who just sits on the couch all day, right? He's really nice. But, but you put these three things together in your own life and you are qualified to marry. Um, in fact, the word love, the, the best synonym for love in, in, in English, the biblical word and concept for love is unselfishness. If you're unselfish and you fear God, if you're unselfish, you're gonna work hard. And if you make wise choices, you know, that, that's, that's the foundation for a great marriage. You don't marry potential. We marry patterns. Um, I want to just close with a story by a pastor. I think he's down in Texas by the name of Matt Chandler. Um, and he talked about uh, when he was in college, he, one of his, uh, a girl he got to know in college who was an older student. She was single and had a child and her name was Kim. And he started talking to her about about Christ and about grace, God's grace, and about how God's forgiveness and following Jesus. And she was like, eh, you know, I don't know about that. And so that, but, but the conversation was started. And so then a friend of his was giving a concert um, nearby. And so he invited her to the concert, Christian concert. And so she came, there's like about a thousand people in attendance. She loved the concert. And at the end, there's a pastor who got up for a message. And of course, that was Matt's whole point in bringing her to the concert. Right? It's like, okay, now she's going to get the gospel, and she didn't get the gospel. 
he got up and he said, I want to talk to you today about sex. And inside his heart just sunk. Here's the single mom and lots of struggles in her life. And he's like, ah. And he says, and the first thing I, I have here is I have this rose and this red rose, it's a beautiful red rose. And you know, I just want, I just want a thousand people at the concert, I just want you to pass it around and just smell it and touch it and feel, feel the velvet of the, of the petals and, and just, just pass it around the room. And then he went on to talk about sex and he, it was the most harsh message that Matt had heard, maybe ever. It's like, oh yeah, you know, sex, it's all fun and games until someone gets syphilis. You know, and have you seen what genital warts looks like? And, uh, you know, and just this, this really condemning, harsh message. And then at the end of his, at the crescendo of this whole speech, he says, where's my rose? And some man in the back of the auditorium ran forward with his rose and the stem was broken and there was only a couple petals left and it was, it was ugly, manhandled. And he holds the rose up and he says, now who would want this rose? after it's been around. And Matt Chandler, he said, in his heart of hearts, and he's regretted not doing it, but in his heart of hearts, the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and, and, and he wanted to yell out, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants that rose. He loves that rose. He died for that rose. And that's the whole point of the gospel. Right? For the wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God in him. And, and for, you know, for by grace you're saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, and so I just want to share with you at the end as passionately as I can, because this has been a hard message for some of you. And you're thinking about the past, and you're thinking, yeah, I didn't date the right way. And maybe I even not dating now the right way. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I married an unsaved person, and it has been hard, but I'm stuck. You know what? This message is not about the past. The past is forgiven at the cross. This is a message about today and the future and how God wants to bless and God wants to pour out his love and his grace. And if you follow him now, starting today, his mercies are new every morning. So great is his faithfulness. And I just want to encourage you in, in that way to trust him because he really, really does love you. And he wants to give you his best and that is available to you no matter what you've done in the past. Because the truth is, all of us are ugly, broken roses. And you know what? We as people, we can't fix roses. But that's because we didn't make roses. And the creator who made the rose can fix the rose too. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for your grace the goodness that you give us that we don't deserve. I thank you for your mercy, the withholding of punishment that we do deserve. And I just, I just thank you for the direction you give us in your word. God, help us to be 
grace-filled people to just, uh, just bathe in your forgiveness and in your love and then to just personify that and pour that out into the lives of others we meet. God, just help us to love the broken roses around us. Help us to realize that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and